0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hey, this is Ariel. Quick heads up for listeners this episode is centered around the issue of child predation and sexual abuse.
0: Every year for the past few years, there's been a massive, Uh, gaming conference more like a gaming festival kind of like a music festival but for video gamers and it's called dreamhack this weekend thirty-five
2: thousand people will come to the georgia world congress center for dreamhack atlanta
0: you know you've got players coming in in costumes
2: we're in we are at dreamhack and holy crap there's a lot to do
0: (laughs) you've got just thousands of people playing computer games all at the same time There's EDM dance music at night. There's competitions on stage. It's loud and fun and chaotic and insane. And um, I went this year because I was following this guy, Ben Halpert, who runs Savvy Cyber Kids, a nonprofit focused on online safety. And he was going to lead a panel discussion around grooming and child exploitation via video games. And... um, What he found as he was trying to get people to sit on the panel and then get people to attend the panel is basically no one wants to talk about child exploitation and grooming in video games. People went to the festival to have a good time, to have fun. Kids are there with their parents. Um, High school teams are there to compete. What he was trying to do, you know, it's a bummer. It sucks. It's terrifying. People aren't really interested in knowing that this is going on.
1: Nellie Bowles is a reporter for The New York Times. She and her colleague Michael Keller published a huge feature that tackled an issue that, understandably, makes people extremely uncomfortable. The problem of predators using online video game chats to abuse children.
0: So I went to the panel, I sat in the back, and... um, About two people were there at the start of it. Total, maybe five people came, six people. And again, this is a conference of 35,000 video gamers. So it's basically an empty room. And you can hear the music a little bit in the background still of the Gamer Festival and the kind of chaos of it. And um, honestly, the panel barely wanted to talk about child exploitation and grooming. They, They felt more comfortable talking about Bullying or kind of less extreme forms of abuse that happen in video game world. Ben at this point is used to it. Ben gets that no one wants to hear what he's saying. He feels he's on a mission. It's his passion. And I think he just really feels called to it in part because he loves gaming and he loves the community. There's not a huge appetite to learn about what's been going on. And as I started reporting, I found there's not a huge appetite for the game companies to talk about what's been going on. But there's no disputing that there is a huge problem.
1: Nelly's story makes clear that this problem is real. Kids are being harmed while chatting with predators over video games. And Nelly will give us more info about that in a minute. But first... I'm gonna lift the curtain on this episode a bit. I decided to cover this topic, which is a difficult thing to talk about because there is hope. There are people out there who are thinking about solutions to this problem. And my team and I dedicated the entire second half of this episode to discussing those solutions because I hate feeling powerless too. Okay, enough of that. Let's get back to the show. I'm Ariel Dermross. This is Reset. Nellie, I already mentioned that you wrote a huge feature about child predation via video games. So what exactly did you find out through your
0: reporting? We found that this problem of child exploitation via video games is pervasive. Pervasive of many different games, many different platforms, many different mediums. Chat, audio streaming, video, obviously. So how did you start researching this? Who did you talk to? I just started calling up local police departments, getting their stories, and then um, talked to the FBI, talked to some of the more national organizations, and they were all really loudly saying this is a big problem and this is something that we're taking seriously and we want more people to take seriously. You know, one of the groups I ended up Talking with a bunch was this group of New Jersey law enforcement officers who had seen that this was a problem and decided to set up a sting operation, turned into a series of sting operations, where they set up identities as children and interacted online. So
1: we're pretending to be kids
0: to catch these predators. Exactly, and in after the first one, they, in less than a week, they arrest twenty-four people.
1: Wait, in a week, they arrested twenty-four people? Yeah, 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 yeah. This That's is a lot. It's a, it's,
0: yeah. And then I started looking further into how the grooming happened and how the grooming would take place all over the country. This is not just the Jersey case, but... Can you just define the term grooming? Grooming, in the case of online video games, means predators finding young people in chats, building trust, building a relationship, a rapport, often helping them in the game, giving them advice for the purpose of sexual exploitation, either to get them to send sexually exploitive imagery or to even meet up in person. It starts with a normal, casual game friendship. Then people will go and chat in other platforms, often in Discord or other game chat methods. Then the predator will ask that young person to, to send a sexually explicit or on the edge of sexually explicit photo for more points in the game or for more help or because they're friends, and that's what friends do. And then from there, they will use that photo, and they'll say, I'm going to send this to your mom unless you send me more. So they'll kind of get a small in and use that to gain a lot more access to that young person, gain a lot more material about that young person, from that young person, sexually exploited material, and then ultimately even blackmail them to to meet up, to sexually abuse them. So is that technique, is that approach working? It's a very distinct pattern that almost all of the cases seem to follow. But yeah, it works. It's hard, to, it's hard to track. It's hard to catch. It's hard to stop. There are a lot of calls for game companies to monitor the text, and they can do that, but only to the extent that the chats happen over text on their platforms. A lot of these chats are happening on headsets. And, and you know, parents can say we'll never give any personal information. Well, someone can tell how old you are based on your voice. It's very hard if you're talking to someone for four hours while you're playing a video game and you're joking and you're getting close. And it's very hard to not share any identifying information, especially if you're 12 years old. Once sexually exploitive imagery starts entering the circulation among predators, it is very hard to take that off the Internet. It's very hard to erase one of those images. And so it is a damage that is done for ever. So an FBI study uh, on a sample of sextortion cases found that a quarter of them led to suicide or attempted suicide. And in 2016, a Justice Department report identified sextortion as, their quote is, by far the most significantly growing threat to children. The people that that
1: were part of these reports, you know, we're using the term kids, we're using the term children, we're using the term teens. Like, what are we actually talking about when we talk about predators getting in touch with young people through video games? What's the population at play here?
0: God, this is where it gets really sad. Um... The population goes very young. Obviously, teenagers are on video games the most, but there were reports of um, very young children. Even games designed for children as young as five or six or seven are starting to incorporate chat features, interactive features. So as soon as a kid is old enough to be communicating online... That that must have been really tough to report on and... Realize, Yeah, it was—that made me really sick.
1: Can you tell me a story, one specific story of this happening?
0: Yeah. Um, Ben Halpert's own daughter, who was six years old at the time, was playing a safari animals game. And one of the animals started communicating with her and, and trying to ask her personal questions. And he interpreted that from the way that animal was speaking to her. The way that person was speaking to her as someone reaching out to make a not game appropriate connection. Wow,
1: how many children are impacted by this form of of
0: abuse of predation? How often does this happen? That kind of stuff is impossible to say. I mean, we have you can look at some of the stats. Like, okay, six years ago, there were a little over fifty reports of sex Sextortion is the process of blackmailing someone into sending sexually explicit material. Last year, there were 1,500 reports of sextortion, and that's according to the Justice Department. Most of that sextortion is happening in gaming chats. The stats on that are really hard to tell. Because often, you know, as very quickly when you're playing a video game, you go off into Discord and into into more of a chat room. But what we can say is like, it makes sense that video games would be where predators are going right now. 97% of American teen boys play video games. 83% of teen girls do. And now it's a considered a varsity sport in a lot of schools. So it's where kids are. It's where they're hanging out. Do we know anything about these predators, about the perpetrators of this abuse? There is no profile. There is no profile for these sexual predators. There's no age demographic. There's no class demographic. There's no race demographic. When the police set up these stings in Jersey, they found it was across ages, across all demographics. And so they can't make a profile. When you were reporting this story and you
1: contacted gaming companies to ask them about this, how did they respond?
0: When we reached out to companies, and that's what my, my colleague, um, Michael Keller, who was amazing on this story, he, he was trying to get the companies to comment and trying to get the companies to talk, and he didn't get a heck of a lot of a response. Sony, the maker of PlayStation, which has about 100 million monthly active users, they responded, they said, it took sextortion seriously and pointed to tutorials on parental controls. How did people respond to your story? I got a lot of emails from parents saying saying thank you and then quite a few emails that from parents saying they were worried about their kid and a couple emails saying that they had found inappropriate conversations in their kids' video game chats after the story. So what I found when I was reporting this is parents will talk about this, but they are so sad that this happened and so ashamed that this happened and so scared that speaking about it openly might result in more targeting of their child and so there is a real culture of fear right now among parents who are encountering this nellie you wrote this whole story
1: about video games and sexual predators and I can't help but wonder, as I'm hearing you
0: talk about this, are you a gamer? <laughs> um, not currently, but as a, in my younger years, yeah, very much so. I grew up loving video games and spending many afternoons and many weekends playing them. Uh, also playing Magic cards because I was really cool. But um, (laughs) there's a lot of joy and fun that comes from video games. Like, I wouldn't say the takeaway is turn off the computers, shut off the internet, like, uh, live in a bunker. Or even just, or even, I I wouldn't say the solution is even ban video games in your home. They can be really fun. I don't know. And they're creative. And now video games are, you know, kids get scholarships to college based on video games. Right. Yeah, I grew up gaming and, and loved it. And think that it can be a source of a lot of fun for young people.
1: Nellie Bowles, reporter for The New York Times,
0: thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this today. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for doing a story about this.
1: The issue of predators targeting children through video games is a problem that most parents either don't know about or aren't sure how to address, let alone fix. But One parent read Nellie's piece and decided to keep the conversation going. That's after the break. This is Reset. Hey, it's Ariel Zimross. The much-anticipated series Little America is out in full now on Apple TV+. Inspired by the extraordinary true stories first reported in Epic magazine... Little America tells eight unique stories of how people got to the U.S. from around the world. From Syria to Uganda to Mexico to Nigeria, the series brings to life the funny, romantic, heartfelt, inspiring, and surprising stories of immigrants in America. In an episode entitled The Manager, 11-year-old Kabir learns to run a motel in Utah on his own when his parents are deported back to India. And then Beatrice, the only one of her 22 siblings to be sent from Uganda to college in the US, goes on a journey towards the American dream by selling her chocolate chip cookies. And then there's an episode called The Rock that tells the story of Faraz, who will stop at nothing to build a home for his Iranian family including attempting to remove a massive rock from an otherwise perfect piece of real estate in Yonkers. Produced by Lee Eisenberg from The Office and Good Boys, Kumail Nanjiani from The Big Sick and Silicon Valley, and Emily V. Gordon, also from The Big Sick. It's a must-see. Little America is live now. Open the Apple TV app on your iPhone, Or your connected TV to watch all the episodes. Or go straight to tv.apple.com. That's tv.apple.com. Apple TV Plus subscription required. Remus is a senior writer for One Zero, Medium's tech and science website. Earlier this year, his editor sent him that New York Times story that Nellie Bowles and Michael Keller wrote about sexual predation through online video games. I
2: got really scared because I'm the parent of a four-year-old boy, and I imagine that like most kids these days, he will grow up to play lots and lots of online games, and I'm like, that's my kid's future. That's not that. No, that's that's not right. I don't like how do we stop this? And so I talked with my editor a little bit about it. And the, the reporting by the Times was fantastic. What it what it left almost everyone who read it feeling was, wow, this seems almost hopeless. Like this is a not only a big problem, but a really hard problem to solve. And so in consultation with my editor, we decided, all right, I'm going to see if there are solutions out there because it feels like there have to be like, God, I hope there are. So I went looking for experts and people in the industry who might have
1: ideas. As you were talking to all of these experts, what did you find?
2: So as I began talking with people who think about these types of problems professionally, I started in my mind grouping the different approaches into categories And this is a little gimmicky, I guess, but I ended up with five categories that that rhyme. There's moderation, automation, verification, education, and regulation. So moderation, one obvious approach there is is to add some kind of oversight, right? Like, you could try to put human moderators in the fray and, and have them watch out for suspicious stuff. But that only works if it's really a, a group uh, chat or if it's sort of a public
1: lobby. Um, it would be very hard to do for direct messaging. Exactly. Because, you know, direct messaging means private messaging. Yeah, exactly. So then you start to think about automation, right? Like, maybe
2: the, maybe there's a, a digital equivalent to putting surveillance cameras on a playground. Uh, Of course, that comes with some potential invasions of privacy. Um, People have some expectation of privacy on on certain gaming platforms, especially when they do a private chat. But you could try to do things like use AI software to scan what people are saying in gaming chats. And in fact, there are companies that do this. There are both some gaming platforms that do it in-house and there are some consultants that do this. So they'll look for patterns of speech that are typical of child predator behavior.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. But as you mentioned, that comes with a whole bunch of privacy issues.
2: Yeah, it does. And this is one of the places where this problem gets so complicated. You know, a lot of gaming platforms have chat by text. There are others where you can chat by voice. Um, And Discord is is not a gaming platform itself, but it has become a chat platform of choice for many gamers. And that is audio. And so if you were to try to log the audio and do analysis on it, um one of the experts I talked to said you you there's a very good chance you'd be running afoul of state laws against the recording of conversations without consent, or that sort right. of thing. So so there are limitations on on what you can do there. And then of course, when you're using AI, it's never perfect.
1: So even though we are talking about protecting children, which is so, so important, especially in these situations, you know, I'm I really care about privacy online and all my instincts right now are to go, oh, my God, no, that would be terrible because I can't trust these gaming companies. I can't trust these chat platforms. I, I don't want them to do that.
2: Right. So, I mean, that's a real that's a real trade off in many cases. I think it becomes easier for the platforms that are specifically targeted at kids. But if you're talking about games that are played as much by adults as by kids, right, if you're talking about uh, Fortnite or League of Legends or whatever, a lot of grown ups wouldn't accept that. They wouldn't stand for it. They would just go someplace else.
1: So where did you go from there? What was, what was the third thing that you looked at, the third option?
2: All right, so third is what I call verification. There, there are different forms of that. You could try to implement a real names policy where uh, people, they may not have to display their real name on the platform because that could raise its own safety issues, but they would at least have to provide a real name and identification to the platform, and then they could use a handle there. And at least there would be some sort of accountability. I mean, the, the players aren't totally anonymous, and then if you do find them doing something wrong, you can figure out who they are, and maybe that deters bad behavior. Um, A few gaming platforms have tried that. It usually sparks a backlash. There was a famous backlash to Facebook's real names uh, policy.
1: Yeah, and the reason why it's fraught is because for certain communities, that can be um, a real, not just an invasion of privacy, but also just... um something that can actually put people at risk. Uh, In the case of Facebook and the backlash against that, it specifically had to do with drag queens being asked to not use their entertainment name, their drag name, but then to use their real names instead. And And it was also problematic for trans folks as well. I mean, the name on your driver's license, right? That might not be the name that you use when you interact with other people. So that's why there was a lot of backlash against that. But what you're saying is that there might be a way to do this four platforms with children on them, right? Yeah.
2: I, and I think, honestly, real names is probably not the way to go for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, those are very, very valid concerns that some of the people I spoke with raised as well. I think another way of trying to do verification would be to focus on age and focus on sort of siloing kids away from adults mm. on platforms. You know, have, have games that are aimed at kids under a certain age and then have games that are aimed at grown-ups over a certain age. That, again, is difficult to do. and None of these solutions are uh, are without headaches and and complications and concerns, just to be clear.
1: Yeah. Okay. Verification, that's number three. What's number four?
2: I next jump to education like okay i guess that this type of activity on internet connected gaming platforms is is basically inevitable like we can try to limit it we can try to detect it in various ways but there's no way to do that perfectly while also respecting people's privacy and so right. at the end of the day, all we can do is, is try to really make this all-out effort to educate parents about the risks and educate kids. Maybe there could be standardized tutorials that help kids identify when somebody's trying to prey on them or trying to deceive them or, you know, do sextortion schemes or that kind of thing. Um, maybe you could build the tutorials into the games in a better way, a way that actually, re- you know, gives in-game rewards for completing them.
1: Oh, that's interesting did you have you talked to your child about this kind of thing
2: so he's uh, he's too young so far to be on online games. I hadn't given it more than more than a minute's thought until I read that New York Times story Now absolutely, I'm going to talk to him uh, you know when he gets old enough uh probably a little before he gets old enough. Talk to him about the risks, talk to him about how everyone's not who they seem to be online There has to be i think this this kind of norm around it, kind of like some parents will tell their kids. Uh, who are underage, look, if you are drunk, I would rather you call me and I will pay for a taxi, no questions asked, than you get in a car and drive. Maybe that's kind of what we have to do with kids and online gaming platforms.
1: Right. Automatic immunity. You can trust me. Just come to me and let me know.
2: Yeah. And so there, there is, there almost certainly is room for improvement on the education side. But it leaves you in this sort of unsatisfying place of like, okay, so these platforms have created these unmoderated spaces and put kids at risk. And all we can do about it is like put the burden on the kids and their parents themselves and tell them to just watch out. So where did you end up then? Well, I was like about to give up on the story, basically. <laughs> it's like if all I can say is people need to educate themselves, then what what have I really contributed? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I talked to Marianne Franks. Franks is a law professor at the University of Miami. She also has expertise on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. This sort of foundational law of the internet that shields platforms and tech companies from getting sued for stuff that their users say or do. So when I talked to her, we went through all these other options, and then she said, look, you know, education's great. I'm not going to say we shouldn't do education, but really, you're not going to get a handle on this problem as long as... Gaming platforms feel like they're not going to get in trouble for whatever happens on there. As long as they feel like they can't get sued for child predation happening on their platforms and that Section 230 is going to protect them from those types of lawsuits, then they don't have much incentive to spend resources or to compromise their gameplay or to limit functionality of chats because they get a free pass.
1: I was so interested in the way that you did this. I Reading your article, I honestly, like, my mind was kind of blown because I, I was like, oh, God, he's talking about Section 230. Where is he taking this? And I didn't hate it.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: So, um,
2: <laughs> so tell me what you did. Well, it's, it's because the the people I talked to about this, um, Marianne Franks, and then also Danielle Citron, who's a law professor at Boston University, they're really thoughtful about this. And none of the experts I talked to said just get rid of Section Two Hundred and Thirty. It would it would basically make social media impossible. And right. in practice, the biggest companies would find you know would find ways to survive and. Uh, And there would just be no diversity because any smaller company wouldn't be able to defend themselves against all the lawsuits. Exactly. So uh, instead, what, uh, what Citron in particular has recommended, she recommended what they called a reasonableness standard. And that standard is basically, you will get all of the protections of Section 230 as long as you are making reasonable efforts at moderating your platform. If you do not make reasonable efforts to moderate your platform, then that protection goes away and you can be held liable.
1: I have to say, I, just reading that, I was like, I didn't even know it was possible to come up with something that could make me feel like maybe, maybe this is doable. Did you actually start thinking about that, too? Yeah. So what what
2: Citron told me is that reasonableness is actually a, a it's a concept in the law. There are other areas of the law where the standard involves reasonableness. And yes, it is vague. It is mushy. It does add a lot of risk for a tech platform when they don't know exactly what reasonableness might turn out to mean in the context of their systems and their software and their users. But what it does is it means that if you're just blatantly kind of letting anything go, if you're or, or if you're doing things that are clearly unreasonable, like for instance, uh, there's been reporting that came out in recent months that found that uh, dating platforms were taking reports of rape and sexual abuse from users, and then just not doing anything with them, not acting on them. Right. A court would look at that and say, "Well, that's not reasonable. Like, if you if you're going to take those reports from users, they have a reasonable expectation that you're going to actually follow up and do something about it, and not just let those abusers run rampant on the platform and rape other people." So. What Citron was was trying to say is, you know, the, the big platforms that are taking some responsibility, imperfect as that may be, they will still get Section 230 protection. Uh, Microsoft is one that has made a lot of efforts. It just came out with a new technology called Project Artemis that does some of that machine learning uh, language detection that we talked about. Roblox is another one. There are platforms out there that are making sincere efforts. Now, again, not perfect, but sincere efforts they would still be protected by Section 230. There are other platforms out there. There's a there's a a an app called Omegle that is basically like a chat with strangers app. Right. And it's incredibly popular with young people.
1: With gamers specifically,
2: right? And with gamers, yeah. And and all it does is put a warning on there that says, you know, warning, you know, child predators have been known to use this app. And that's it. And then they wash their hands of whatever else happens. Citron thinks that would not pass a reasonableness standard. <laughs> you know even the people who are advancing this idea say this alone will not solve it either but what this will do is it will change the it would change the the expectation it would change this feeling of immunity that platforms currently enjoy it would make them think twice about introducing a feature that's going to make it easy for child predators to connect with targets um, maybe some games would just get rid of the private messaging function and make all chats happen in an open lobby. Uh, so at least they would all be doing more than they're doing today. And then once the platforms have responsibility, once they feel like it affects their bottom lines, they may be better positioned to figure out what works on their own services than any you know, legislator or journalist or activist could be.
1: given those five things that you just walked us through, those five points, do you think that necessarily gamers will have to make some kind of sacrifice in order to keep children safe?
2: I think so. In many cases, the most effective and straightforward solution is for gaming platforms to think more carefully about what chat features are needed, what level of privacy is needed. Just because you can uh, offer totally private, one-on-one, instantaneous connections between any of your gamers doesn't mean you should do it. Maybe that limits some of the functionality, maybe some people have a little less fun, but I think that's probably worth it.
1: In your mind, who ultimately should be responsible for protecting kids when they enter a gaming environment?
2: I think the platforms have to be responsible one way or another. And this isn't saying that parents shouldn't also be responsible or that kids shouldn't take precautions. The platforms have to take the steps to make child predation more difficult instead of their current functionality that often makes it as easy as possible or just way too easy.
1: Will Arimus is a senior writer for One Zero. Will, thank you so much for walking me through your article and all the research that you did.
2: Thanks so much for talking about it on your show. It's a great show, and I really appreciate
1: the questions. We reached out to Discord, the chat app, for comment. The VP of Communications, Gabe Madway, told us the same thing that they told The Times, which is that Discord currently uses, quote, industry-leading technology such as photo detection software to scan every image and video for child pornography. We also reached out to Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite. A senior spokesperson named Nick Chester said that the company doesn't tolerate inappropriate behavior and offers, quote, a range of parental controls to limit what a player can see and do within the game. Okay, so what Will Oremus did was walk us through a whole bunch of potential fixes that might help, but none of them are perfect. As a person who occasionally plays video games and sees the value in them, that's tough to hear. At the same time, I'm comforted by the knowledge that the experts Will spoke with had ideas at all. As long as people are discussing this somewhere, there's hope that we might be able to protect children while still allowing them to meet new people and enter magical worlds through video games. With that in mind, I'd love to hear from you about this episode. Send me your thoughts, concerns, and ideas for potential solutions by emailing reset at fox.com. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zimros. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at ADRS. We publish episodes three times a week, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, so if you haven't already... Subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Sunday. Later, nerds.